So in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 today, we're talking about competence. We're talking about competence. And I'm not talking about incompetence. We're talking about people who are competent. Uh, I want to give you a little just reminder about what we're going to talk about today because we can get a little lost in the weeds as we read this letter. So I want to give you a theme of what I want to come through. This is a book that deals with something that Paul has dealt with many times with many different churches and is dealing with with the Corinthians for probably at least the third time. And what it teaches us is that as believers, we see a pattern in Scripture that our struggle is not unique to us. That as Christians, you might be able to identify with this. Sometimes we already know what is right to do, but we just keep drifting away from it. Is that anybody's life here? We already know what's right. We just can't seem to stay there. For their sake and probably for ours, it had to do with listening to the wrong voices and constantly reassessing basic truth that we already know. I think that is the satanic plan in our world today, to keep asking, has God really said? Can you really be sure about basic truths? I'm not talking about, you know, truths that are, are, are a little bit hard to figure out and there's some, some different application to it. I'm talking about basic truth. Is the Bible God's word? Is Jesus Christ the savior of the world? Are there other ways to add? There are basic truths that we know that are not for grabs. We're not constantly reevaluating them. And yet our world keeps asking us to reevaluate. And so in the way that the church struggled to hold on to what they knew was right, this whole study is very on point today for the people of God because the people of God throughout all of time tend to drift from what they know God has told them. And so our challenge is to learn from the examples of others, whether it's Israel, as we studied in Exodus and Numbers a couple of years ago, or now as we're studying in the book of Corinthians, to learn from their struggles and maybe build on it so that we do a little better. Today, what I want to talk about is about how believers should know that they are competent, that they should have confidence, and that confidence should come from knowing that you are indeed equipped to do what God has called you to do. I'm going to tell you right now that that is a major battlefront. In a world filled with anxiety and fear and stress and overwhelmed, where we assume that every good thing that we possibly could do must be a good thing that I necessarily should do, we are crushed under not feeling like we are enough all the time. And yet from the word of God, and even in this passage today, what we will find is that Paul talks about the confidence that the people of God should have, knowing that we are fully equipped to do what God has asked us to do. This letter is born out of a crisis of trust between the Corinthians and Paul. There should be no reason for that, but that's what's going on. That's the conversation that's happening. They are like, well, Paul said this, but... Can we really rely on Paul? Is he really legitimate? Seems ridiculous to us today as we look at the New Testament and like all these letters that Paul wrote for people to be like, can you really trust Paul? But there are people today, there are scholars today who are like, can you really trust Paul? He was so like anti-woman and he was, you know, like there's a, there's a whole discourse out there about can you really trust Paul? But these folks, they knew him personally. And yet this letter comes out of I don't know if we can trust him. I would say, in my opinion, there is a pandemic of distrust today in our world. Everybody's got a little bit of it. We've all been infected by this idea of 
distrust. Some of it with ourselves. I don't know if I can trust me. Much of it with other people. Maybe you've made mistakes in your life that brought pain or regret or shame for so long that you can't remember living without those things. It almost defines you. And because of that, you are hesitant to ever believe that you are enough, that you have what it takes. And maybe you're right to have those misgivings because you haven't found the truth of where that confidence comes from. Maybe you have distrust with others because people have been lied to, betrayed, disappointed, and large consequences have come from that. And so there are lots of reasons for distrust, and many of them that are the most sticky come from people who put their trust in someone who they should have put their trust in, but who turned out to be betrayed anyway, like parents, the church, deep friendships, at times a combination of all, right? We, we feel the danger, and so we pull back. So I'm going to say this. When you sign up to serve the kingdom of God in this world, before we get to, to eternity, in this world, you've got to be ready to sort through the PTSD of those that Jesus wants you to serve. People are going to have misgivings. People are going to distrust, and that is natural and normal for this world. You have to be ready to sort through theirs, but you also have to be ready to sort through your own anxieties and fears. And what those things wind up doing, the reason I know that they are a demonic strategy is because they're designed to cause you to give up, to despair, to fall into absolutely like, you know, disillusionment. There's no reason to try. There's no reason to go forward. What, we, what happens in today's world when I'm not sure about me is I start to get all kinds of advice from all kinds of people. I try to um, subcontract God's work in my life to other experts, right? Well, you must know. You must know. You sound like you know. Or I don't listen to anybody except myself. Both of those are fleshly approaches to this problem. The question today is, how can we be confident in what God asks us to do without being full of pride and living in our flesh? Parents, I'm thinking about you. The journey that you have with your kids, so many voices, so many challenges in protecting and nurturing the trust that your calling as a parent needs. How do you do that? I think every parent asks themselves, am I enough? Am I doing the right thing? Am I making a big mistake? Is this all? Whether your kid is little, little, or whether your kid is fully grown, every parent knows those questions in your head. How can you know that you are equipped? I think young adults especially struggle with wondering if they have what it takes. If people will see through your facade of confidence to the fear that's inside, if you'll be exposed as a fraud who doesn't know what you're talking about, we take some tactics, we wind up either retreating quickly or advancing loudly, but we never actually deal with the issue. Where does confidence come from? How can I know that I have what it takes? And so I today want to look at these verses, not many. I want you to see that we can have confidence in our callings. The confidence we have is not because we are perfect or because we don't make mistakes or because we have it all figured out. 
The confidence we have is by faith. Because we are placed in a role by the Lord, we have confidence from him. The passage and lesson come from the fact that Paul's role has authority and leadership over the Corinthians. He has the say. He's supposed to tell them some things that they need to hear, like almost a spiritual parent. As a matter of fact, in this book, he calls himself their father. He has authority and leadership over them. There's a popular opinion in church today that people should be able to do whatever they want in church. I mean, if it's a church, you should be able to follow the Spirit's lead however you want, right? And no one should be able to tell them what they should or shouldn't do. Good leaders should let everybody just do what they want. I've had this conversation in in the years of this church many, many times. How dare you, Mark or whoever, say that I can't this or that? We have this idea in leadership, that we should be able to do whatever we want. But that's not good theology. And certainly as we read through the book of 2 Corinthians, that's not what he's teaching here. Like every role that we take on in our life, leading is God's idea. So any role you have is a role that God has given you. And that was God's idea, right? In 1 Corinthians 12, we talk about the body of Christ. He's the one who assigns gifts to this person. He gives this to this person. Who gives it? He gives it to us. It's not my decision or your, it's his decision to give to us. And then he says, so we should function like he made us to function, right? God's, the thing about this is all of these roles that are God's idea come with the tension that they wind up in people who make a mess of it over and over and over again. And because of that, we get discouraged. Because of that, we lose confidence. But listen, your confidence never came from your performance, Here's what I want to say to start this off before we read verse, get down in verse one and actually read something from chapter 12. God is never defeated or limited by a person's weakness if they will follow him by faith. God is never defeated by your weakness or someone else's weakness in your life if you will follow him by faith. Do you believe that Jesus is big enough and great enough to overcome your failures, weaknesses, and mistakes? Did he do it on the cross? Like the reason for the cross was my brokenness, right? Did he overcome that? So I don't have to tiptoe around, oh no, if I mess up, God will never be able to redeem this. Now, if you're just trying to make a mess, then you're going to make a mess. But if you're trying to follow Jesus and you're walking by faith, you don't have to walk in this constant fear of, I don't know if I'm going to do it right because I'm a mess. He already factored in how much of a mess you are when he put his calling on your life. And he will not be defeated by your inability to be perfect because he is a God who is greater than all of that. And so as we read this, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to read the first six verses, but we're going to just start with verse 1. The wording here is going to make it seem like Paul is bragging or self-promoting, but he makes it clear later that one of their problems is that they think he's doing exactly that. They think Paul is operating like the other apostles, the super apostles he talks about in 10 and 11, these ideas of people who are self-promoting. They think Paul is presenting his self-promoting case just like they did, and they're supposed to choose between the two. But he makes it clear later on that that's their problem. In chapter 12, verse 19, after almost the entire book where he's showing them that these new and more powerful apostles are actually leading them astray, he says this. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? Have you been thinking all along 
that we've been defending ourselves? You think that's what this is? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. Everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. So as we read this, we can think that Paul is in an argument with the Corinthians. He is not. He is under inspiration from Almighty God through the Holy Spirit, saying things that they need to hear so that they can get back to following Jesus. And he's doing it with confidence, even though people are like, we don't think we can trust you. And I think that's an example for us. So let's start. Verse 1 of chapter 3. I want to touch on that before we started chapter 3 so we didn't get mixed up. Chapter 3, verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? This is almost sarcasm. This is kind of rhetorical as Paul is talking to the Corinthians. Do I have to make my case again for why you should trust me? He's like, think about what you already know. I was with you for a year and a half. You are believers because I showed up and in your town and shared Jesus with you. Now, he's actually in this letter going to give them many reasons why they could trust him. But he pauses here to say, before I start, you already know enough to know better. If you'll just put your head around it, you already know enough to know better. They are Christians because Paul was willing to face persecution and rejection. The letters that we have to this church come from his willingness to step in as a caring father and bring accountability and correction to them, even though they were like, we don't want to hear from you, Paul. So there, Paul has every reason to feel insecure, to feel unappreciated, to feel no confidence in his leading, but he doesn't. He says, Listen, folks, you already know enough to know better. The end statement there about letters of recommendation, they used letters of recommendation many times. Paul would send it with different uh, messengers. Hey, here's a, this person, listen to them, Titus or whoever, listen to them, follow them. I, Paul, am saying to you, this is someone you should listen to. So they used them all the time. But Paul says to them, do I need a letter of recommendation to you? Do I need to say who I am to you? Because if you're looking for people who know who I am, people who know the power of my ministry, people who know the truth of what I've said, the people that I would recommend you talk to is you. Do I need a letter of recommendation to you or from you? That's what he says, right? In other words, you already know you already know enough to know better. That teaches me, and probably all of us, people's opinion of you is not a reliable measure of your worth or the success of your calling. Parents, whether your kids like what you've done or not, it is not a reliable measure of whether you're doing the right thing. Do you know that? If you don't, you're going to be really hard-pressed to have confidence in your leading. Now, if you've been nasty and people don't like you for it, there's a law of sowing and reaping. But in Paul's case, that's not what's happening. And in most of our cases, we're just trying to do the right thing. There's nothing in Paul that merits their distrust or their suspicion. He understands why they have questions and he answers their questions, but he's not going to hold back from acting like their apostle, from operating in confidence, to act like he's competent simply because they don't know if they believe him. And I'm going to tell you, this is a little personal. For me, this is a guide for me, Right? What I do as a pastor really matters to me. And I, and I hope that for any role in your life that really matters to you, that you can kind of think through this with me, right? 
I think that the reason I do this is because I believe that this has value. And I want to do it for the kingdom of God. We sing, may Christ be magnified on the altar of my life. That's, that's the cry of my heart, that Jesus would be magnified through anything that I do, right? So not just what I do, but how I do it matters because I want to do it right. I want to follow Jesus. I want to serve this church to the best of my ability. I promise you, I'm not in this for ego and I'm not in this for money. I'm not inhuman. I can feel those pulls, make it about those things. But if that's the only reason I was up here, I wouldn't be up here. I would throw in the towel because there's not enough confidence in, does everybody like me? Am I a big deal? I mean, there's not, enough, there's not enough holding power to that, right? So ultimately, I have to be convinced that God wants me to do it and that I'm doing it his way. So when people talk about me behind my back, about how I've led or my character or my motivation, that hurts, right? You know, you know how that hurts, right? But I can't let it stop me. If I'm doing what God asked me to do, I've got to, this is what I'm seeing in Paul, right? This is what I'm saying for us as believers. Just because it's hurt doesn't mean that I give up, that I throw in the towel and run away. So I have this conversation with Jesus, and, and you can have this conversation in any calling, any role in your life. I'm, I, somebody says something, and I go, okay, Jesus, am I missing something? Is there something I've been blind to something I've messed up that, that I need to address is what, what I could go over and over in my mind, every interaction, every message on a Sunday morning, every teaching on a Wednesday night, every counseling session, every meeting, man, I could have said this. Maybe I needed to say that. What if I did this? Then they'd realize I could do that. I could do that ad infinitum, right? Trying to find confidence, but I won't find confidence in rehashing, in understanding. You know where I find confidence? in trusting God's calling on my life, that God has made it clear that I'm supposed to be here. I'm saying this so that we all can understand where confidence comes from. So when I ask God, listen, is there anything, and nothing comes up, that it's just like part and parcel of, of the mess that we are in, then I have to recognize that people are responsible for what they think, and I'm responsible for responding to the Lord and fulfilling my calling as a believer. This is what I see Paul doing here, Right? Do I need to give you letters of recommendation again? Because you already know. And so I've said this many times, and I'll, I'll tell you what I say. I've been able to say this. It's given me peace. It's a way that I can turn this stuff over to Jesus. I've said this. They know enough to know better, and if they don't know better, it's because they don't want to know better. There is peace in that. Before the Lord, I'm not, this is not just dismissive. Before the Lord, like, have I said things? Have I done things? Is there stuff that I need? No? Okay. Then they know enough to know better. And if they don't know better, it's because they don't want to know better. Amen. Right? You can do this with people. It can free you from constantly chasing whether or not they like you, <laughs> whether or not they agree with you, whether or not they think you're doing the right thing. And that confidence comes from Jesus. We all need that confidence and clarity and the callings that we have from Jesus. I'm not, the, the idea is we should know how to find that confidence to keep going. The confidence that we come does not come from the ways that people try to find it. It only comes through the Lord. Here's how Paul describes it, verses two and three. He says this, you yourselves are our letter 
written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You should, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Here's why Paul is so confident and certain. He sees the spirit's work through him in their lives. As we evaluate our calling, if we are in partnership with the Spirit, if we are working with the Spirit, what does the Spirit produce? Obviously, the fruit of the Spirit. So there's love and joy and peace and gentleness and good. Obviously that. But ultimately, if I was going to sum it up, I would say eternal results. Right? I'm on this earth in a physical body for however long I'm here, but I'm not here to produce physical results. I'm here to produce spiritual results. Now, I would say you don't always see all of that. Sometimes you don't even, most of the time, you don't even see most of it. As a youth pastor, I felt like I didn't see any of it. You know what I mean? I'm talking to these teens week after week after week, and they're like spitting gumballs at each other and stuff. Like, is anybody listening? right? Are we about to burn down this trailer or what? What's happening here? But you know what happens? 10 years later, God gives you a conversation with one of those youth group people. And he gives you a little insight into what he was doing. You see some of it, some of the internal impact of what you're doing. If you, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're struggling with confidence in your calling, it's because you haven't connected what you're doing to the eternal results that God puts you there to do. If you're all about the here and now, you will lose confidence, you will feel incompetent, and you will give up. But if you can start connecting it to the forever, that's what Paul's doing here. Paul's like, you are our letter. You exist as a body of believers because God worked through me, and I can see that. I know that this is not a game for you. I know that you genuinely were transformed by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from dead to alive. And I know, Paul says, I know, that's a work only the Spirit can do. He's in partnership with the Spirit. And it gives him confidence. It's directly connected to knowing that he's doing eternal work wherever he goes. The, the difference, he says, written not on stone but on hearts. We might think that that's the difference between soft and hard. But it's not. It's the difference between the physical and the spiritual. Because he's not talking about your actual heart. If you open the Corinthians up, there's nothing written on their physical heart, right? If there were, there would be problems, right? So what, he's not talking about physical heart. He's talking about the eternal them. Not written on stone, something physical you can touch and see. Written on the you that will last forever. That's where it's written. It's written on eternal. Paul is at work for Jesus. And that work is inviting people to knowing him. In this letter, it's about turning their hearts back to Jesus. That's why he's writing this letter. I've got to disciple you again. You've got to see clearly again because you are a continuing letter being written for eternity. Paul says, my journey is not about whether I'm in jail or not in jail, whether I have food or don't have food, whether I'm sick or whether I'm well, whether I'm old or whether I'm young. My journey is not about any of that physical stuff. You know what my journey is about? Jesus is worth serving with every fiber of my being. And wherever he takes me, I'm going to serve him. I'm going to see eternal results in what I'm doing. In some sense, when we see our calling in just physical terms, we slip in our confidence. What, what is this for? What's all this for? What am I doing? What does it matter? See, that's what happens when we, as believers, with a heart that is set on Christ, are, is, are diverted into living like this world is what it's all about. 
Am I doing too much? Am I doing too little? How would you even evaluate it? And how would you decide what's important and what is not? Believers, we are called to have confidence by looking through an eternal lens. I will tell you this. You can't be insecure about your body if you look at it through an eternal lens. You can't be fooled into giving all your time and energy to a career if you look through an eternal lens. You can't be fooled into measuring your life by your bank account if you look through an eternal lens, right? You can't stay stuck in addiction if you look through an eternal lens. Problem is we don't. And that's why we have no confidence. You can't be self-centered about relationships if you look through an eternal lens. Well, if nobody says hi to me in church today, I'm not coming back. You can't do that if you're looking about, I'm here at this church today because I'm supposed to be, and I'm here because there are eternal things I'm supposed to be doing, what eternal things am I supposed to be doing today? Right? You, it fixes us. And if you would see your life, all of your life, through an eternal lens, then it sets your heart straight. Parents, if you are discouraged about your parenting, listen, it is not about keeping your kids alive, making it through the day. Sometimes it feels like that, right? It's not about keeping them out of your hair. It isn't about whether they achieve a lot in this life or not. It's about whether or not they know Jesus and can follow him, isn't it? That's what we're doing. And that's what keeps me going. That's what gives me confidence. If you want to live in great purpose with confidence in what you do, you'll find that in following Jesus and only in following Jesus. As you follow him, you'll recognize that he always leads you in ways to impact eternity. It may not look like that on the surface, but whatever you do, wherever you are, and whoever you're around, Jesus has you there for an eternal purpose. And if you walk into every situation like that, you will never lose confidence. Keep going, because this is where Paul says it more exactly, verse four to six. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. We have confidence through Christ. Believer, this is for you too. This is not just an apostolic privilege. This is for you too. We have confidence through Christ. I put up a flyer. Hey, we've got Easter flyers. You can go out and invite your friends. Well, I don't know if I can do that. We have confidence through Christ, Right? If God's putting it on your heart, you can trust that God will give you the ability and the strength to do it. The verb here is passive, basically meaning the confidence is not something Paul achieved. It's not an exercise of his will. It's not a function of his strong personality. It's something he received. We have been given confidence. In your calling, you've been given confidence too, but you have to see it by faith in Jesus. We look for confidence in measuring our accomplishments, our progress, collecting everyone's opinions. Think about if Paul measured his confidence by measuring everyone's opinions. With half this, none of this would be written, right? He would have been like, nobody likes me. I'm going home. 
How does God work through one man to produce so much? Because we have confidence through Jesus. Not that we have confidence in ourselves, but that he made us for this. God did not make me for your role. God did not make you for my role. But we can all share this. We are confident through Jesus. Notice he says very explicitly, it's not because you're enough in yourself. It's rather because when God calls you, he equips you. And because God equips you for God's calling in you, no one else can do what God asks you to do. He hasn't given them the power or the equipping that he gives to those he calls. He may have called you into suffering. He equips you for it. You ever said this? Somebody tells you something's going on in their life, you're like, I don't know how you do it. Do you know how a believer does it? Because in that moment, God gives them grace that he hasn't given you because they're going through it and you are not. Do you know how you would get through it if it happened to you? God would give you grace in that moment for his calling in your life. This is the faith and the confidence that we have. Maybe you have a, like a desire to help others, but you don't have the resources to do that. Listen, if God wants you to do it, he'll equip you to do it. So if you don't have the resources to help others, then that probably isn't God's calling in your life right now, right? This is how we have confidence in Jesus. This is how we surrender to him. The Spirit's work in you can't be outsourced to someone else. Some of you, for some reason, think that I know some things, right? So you come to me with stuff in your life and you're like, tell me what to do. And what you'll always find from me is like, I'll tell you what I think, but I don't know what you should do. Unless it's like, should I cheat on my wife? That's, yeah, I, I can answer that one for you, right? Okay. But most of the time what we're talking about is, should I go this way? Should I go? I can't tell you what the Spirit wants you to do. You can't outsource God's work in your life to someone else so that you can have confidence. Well, the expert told me, no. The expert is the spirit in your soul. There's a reason God gave you the spirit in your soul so that you could have confidence in what God wants you to do. God is the one who makes us competent. Paul says, I'm not qualified on my own. I'm doing all this, but I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified. But good news, it isn't my message. It's someone else's message. So my competence in myself has nothing to do with it. It's the competence he gives me. They're looking for proof from Paul. Maybe they got letters of recommendation from these other apostles in the form of a letter or something like that. They, they're asking, is Paul worth trusting and following? It, it is how can I know that I can even trust myself and my own judgment? Paul says to them, this is my answer. You gotta stop looking around and comparing all this human stuff. You've gotta see what God is doing. Ask yourself what God is doing. That's where you find certainty. Our competence comes from God and not us. And I'm gonna tell you, believer, you are not disqualified from God equipping you for your calling because you've messed up in your life. Because his grace is bigger than your mess. He is a God of goodness and a God of redemption, a saving God who loves us and gave himself for us. We need to learn how to walk in that power and confidence by trusting and following him because God is bigger than my mistake, 
or other people's mistakes in my life. Just like the law, the written law, he says here, pales in comparison to the work of grace through Jesus and salvation, so a written letter pales in comparison to the evidence of God's work in the people of Corinth. What Paul says is a dead thing such as letters written on stone could never produce life. Only life can produce life. For many of us, we try to find confidence in dead things, in measurements that are based on perception of limited human ability instead of by faith, walking by faith instead of sight. Today, maybe you're struggling with your own fears and doubts, living under the weight of that, maybe about yourself, maybe about others and a specific other or just generally other people. It's time to find peace in your soul. And that peace is not found by human means through isolation or domination. Most people try to find peace by getting away from threats or by overpowering threats. That is not how the peace of God rules in your heart. Not by what we have. The peace of God comes by surrender and trust. And one of the places we evidence that the most greatly is into the roles that God's put us. I surrender and I trust you. If you've put me here, you have a reason and a purpose and you'll give me what I need in it and here I go. I take all of my focus off whether I feel ready and put all of my focus on whether or not you've put me here. Because when God has called you to roles and put other people in roles in your life, then God gives you what you need in those roles. That is our walk of faith. You will find confidence because I guarantee you will be fully equipped for whatever God asks you to do when you walk by faith in Jesus.